to the How Could You Podcast. I'm Lauren Tossie. And I'm Ryan Tossie. We're here to take you on a cinematic journey, and we are bringing our rollerblades, because we literally go nowhere without them. Real question. Do you know how to rollerblade? At one point in my life, I did, yes. A long time ago. I never knew how to do that. And I marvel at people. I remember trying. I remember in the age of when rollerblading was kind of like ever, oh, yeah. kind of like losery if you, you know, just roller skated. Rollerblading was <laughs> well, like. Roller skating, I believe, is now back. Back. Rollerblading, I don't know. After this summer, I think rollerblading's going to be back. I think there are pockets of this country where rollerblading never really went away. <laughs> Like, uh, Cal- uh, oh no, that was Rollerblades, which was uh, California Games. So we're not a podcast about rollerblading. <laughs> this is the first time you are joining us. We are two people who fell in love at a movie theater and never quite left. We started this podcast because as two devoted film fans, movie obsessives, uh, we had movies that we hadn't seen. This all started because I was a grown adult before I ever saw The Goonies. How could you? Exactly. When you tell people that, that is the question that they say, especially if they know you're a major movie fan. So that's how this podcast started. But over time, it has evolved and changed. Sometimes we're filling gaps in our film knowledge. Sometimes we're just having great, fun movie conversations like the one we're going to have today. Yeah, we got a packed show today. That's for sure. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, so we have been off for a few weeks. We've been enjoying our summer. Ryan, how has your summer been? Uh, My summer's been great. Um, Actually, really fantastic. That's why we haven't been back here. I apologize. (laughs) We just had a lot going on. And I do want to say I am sorry to you because once again as tradition Lauren does not get a birthday episode I I think it's the summer baby type uh, you know we're always left out we don't get to have a classroom party I feel like the Lindsay Buckingham of this podcast there's just never enough time for my birthday episode you know I I wish we had known that you know that great episode with Ben that we had for this is Spinal Tap would be our our finale for the season but it felt like a really great way to end that was a lot of fun so if you have not listened to that episode go ahead and check it out Um, we are here to have a really fun conversation, something we felt compelled to do and feels really appropriate for the summer. Um, But we wanted to kind of update you on things we've been up to. So the first thing is like, so we're obviously a film podcast. We are two people who are very invested in the cinematic industry, the entertainment industry as a whole. And it would feel weird to not start by talking about the, you know, very obvious elephant in the room if you're talking about media, which is the WGA and the SAG after a strike. Um, Look, we're a small podcast and not that anyone's asking for our opinion on this, but we felt really important as two people who have the greatest admiration and respect for creatives and their craft uh, that, of course, we stand with uh, SAG-AFTRA and WGA. Um, Support the writer's strike in any way they can. If it's sharing out, if it's learning more about it, I think oftentimes we see celebrities on the picket lines and we think their big paydays are the thing that they're fighting for. It is not. It is the artisans. It takes an army of people to make a film, to make a TV show. And we're trying to make sure that the people who create these amazing things that we enjoy and take us away from our doldrums on a daily basis are being paid a livable and fair wage. So we just want to start out by saying that we're not going to change anything with our format. We're still going to be talking about projects upcoming. Obviously, we're going to probably be talking about the strike because if it goes on, it's going to start to affect a lot of content for our show. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Those of us that are you know enjoy these types of films, it's at some point it's going to catch up and it'll start affecting us as the consumer as well. And I agree with you. It's it's not about the Tom Cruise's, Brad Pitts. And and Nicole Kidman's of the world. It's about these day players, the the you know the understaff writers. Um, it's about the emergence of AI and what that means, um, and that's really important because it's about protecting these people financially, intellectually, um, making sure they have livable wages, um, you know, and and really just making sure that they are safe from you know their art 
is safe and, and their likeness is safe going forward, with, especially with this emergence of AI. Yeah, but of course, we'll be talking about this coming up. You know, one way, you know, you can support is actually still go see movies. Like, it's actually very important that the theater industry thrives during this time. Uh, SAG After and WJ have come out and spoken, you know, very prominently about that. Obviously, if you've listened to this podcast before, you hear us talk a lot about going out and supporting your local movie theaters. So a way to support is actually to go out and see this art and s- sit through the credits and really take notice of how many people it takes to make that project you are enjoying. Um, so not exactly the most fun way to start off this episode, but we felt really important. But, you know, we did end our our, se- our last season on this is Spinal Tap. And the reason for that, the reason why I didn't get a birthday episode or really we just decided to kind of stop the season there is we were working on a really fun project. I am so, so excited to talk a little bit about this. Ryan, what were we working on at the start of this <laughs> summer? Well, as our audience may or may not know, I, I kind of dabble in some writing. I like to write. And um, so the first time I in, in ever, I decided to put some of that work out into the world. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I've always wanted to write a script and see that turn into a film of, of some size. And so this summer, um, I got the opportunity with, you know, some inspiration from Jardin Films, with the overwhelming, amazing support of you, uh, to see that come to fruition, and made a, you know, wrote and directed a short film, a three-minute short film called Dismissive, and, um, yeah, that was very exciting to get to do, and we put it into the Blob Fest, which we'll be talking about later, who does a film festival, we put it into that festival, and it premiered there this, this summer, so, yeah, uh, you know, short film, even though it's only three minutes, it takes a lot of work, a lot of people. And, you know, our, our, it took a village to create this three minute little short. And it was so much fun to get to do and have that opportunity. It stars you, you know, and yeah. you just absolutely, <laughs> you know, are incredible and, and light up the screen. And, and I couldn't be more happy. Uh, friend of the podcast and, and third seat many times, Anthony DeSantis uh, is in it as well and, and acting um, and, and just does a great job. Um, the wonderful Jessica Calavota stars in this as well. And then, um, you know, some really great help from Jesse Calavota as our director of photography, who I love love working with and then uh jeff harvey who is just wears many hats uh you know he was our stuntman prop guy at times uh you know consultant and you know couldn't have done it without him couldn't have done it without all of you guys had so much fun it was a lot of work we put together this little three minute film and it was the the product we put together i couldn't be more proud of and we got to show it to see it in a crowd of of strangers and hear them react to it in all the best ways is something that's was extremely special to me and and unforgettable and something I'll never forget. So I'm very, very grateful to have that opportunity to do it. It was so exciting to get to see you do this, and it was so much fun, and it's really, really good. He won't (laughs) say that part of it, but for your first writing and directing entry, it is a lot of fun. How can people see it? That's the important part. Well, it's a a sci-fi comedy homage to the 1950s, um, and three minutes long, it, it... premiered at the uh, Shorty Short Film Festival at Blobfest. Uh, On the upcoming days, we're going to have a family and friends event with it. And then after that, we're going to maybe look into putting in more film festivals. And if that, we'll obviously let you know. Otherwise, maybe down the line here, we will, you know, if there's interest, we will show it, you know, via our YouTube page or our Instagram and we'll put it out there. Yeah, so we will, if if it's somewhere where it can be viewed, we will be updating on social media. So, you know, check for some behind the scenes photos, non-spoilery, of course, because it's (laughs) a 
three-minute film, and then hopefully um, everyone will get to see it, because it's so, so incredible and so fun. Thank you for all you've done to make that come Well, look, no, listen, this is <laughs> this is your baby 100%, and I think it's, like, really exciting. Obviously, as two people, again, who are, like, film-obsessed, I think for you to get to occupy that role was really special. You know, we spend so much of our time in movie theaters and drive-ins alike, so I think getting to be a part of that process where it gets to be something that you created was really special this summer. It's a very unique opportunity to get to see something you have in your mind put into film and see it on yeah. the screen. It's 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 a really incredible feeling yeah. and experience. Speaking of on the screen, we have right now an advertisement for our podcast that appears before films you see at Shankweiler's Drive-In. So Shankweiler's Drive-In is local to us in the Lehigh Valley area, um, owned by an incredible couple by the name of Matt and Lauren. Um, they are making such a great experience up there. They've been phenomenal to work with. We very much lucked into the fact that our ad went live Barbie weekend, where they sold out for three <laughs> nights straight, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, next time you're at Shankweiler's and you see our familiar faces on the screen, uh, you scan that QR code, which will take you to this podcast which you're already listening to. But we're just really excited that it's there. You may have seen that we, if you follow us on social media, you may have seen that uh, we've been posting some photos of that. I do appreciate it was our original uh, logo, which has pink in it, and that it <laughs> come, came out on Barbie weekend really seemed quite apropos. Um, uh, also, we're not just at Shankler's Drive-In. Uh, the How Could You Podcast is branching out into the fight game um, this summer. Uh, perhaps we were moved by last season's Rocky and Creed episode, combo or maybe just our affection for this competitor but either way the how q podcast is now the proud sponsor of phoenix del vecchio uh fighters they look to sponsorships to kind of help them in their intensive schedule and expenses to compete at this like really high level and uh you know the high how could you logo along with the other sponsors displays on the competitive competition uniform uh which is really cool to see and on july 8th phoenix competed in his first professional grappling fight in jiu-jitsu at the Enoxi uh, Gym Wars, which took place up at the Signature Event Center in Broadheadsville, PA. Uh, it was a packed house, and Phoenix had this huge cheering squad, and we were excited to be there, and and also really happy and excited to say he got the victory via tap-out submission <laughs> using a mounted triangle, which was a really cool moment. So we couldn't have been more pumped and excited and proud. Uh, we wish him luck as he continues on his career and look forward to being a sponsor and cheering him on during this journey. Very proud aunt and uncle. Yes, very proud aunt and uncle, too. Probably more so than anything else. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, and it, it, it was such a special moment to get to see him do this. And, like, so this has been the fun thing. Like, we, although we have... You know, we took a break from podcasting. We've still been doing stuff for the podcast behind the scenes. As Ryan mentioned earlier, his film, which is awesome, um, debuted at the Shorty Shorts Film Festival as part of Blobfest. If you have no idea what, Blob, what Blobfest is, this happens in Phoenixville, PA, um, at the Colonial Theater every single summer. Uh, the Colonial Theater is gorgeous, and the town of Phoenixville is amazing. Um, but their claim to fame is they were the filming location for the 1958 Blob starring Steve McQueen. If you have seen the film, you remember the iconic moment where the Blob um, enters into the movie theater and crowded, a crowd of patrons pours out of the theater in fear. So every single year, they reenact this in an event called The Runout. <laughs> um which is so much fun. It's preceded by a stage show uh, led by Aurora Gorealis, who is 
so freaking cool um, and emceed by Dash Daring. It is such an incredible weekend. If you are a movie obsessed person, you have to do this at least once. And and I think we're this was our first time doing it. I'd say we're hooked for years. Yeah, to we've wanted to do it for years and finally got a chance to. And I agree with you. Like we are already writing down next year's <laughs> event and cannot wait to, to go back. Did you have a favorite part of the weekend? Um, oh gosh. <laughs> All right, taking film. Here. I was gonna say the debut of your short film. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I think I think potentially it was the, the stage show and the run out on, on Friday night yeah. just because it was such a unique um and you could just see how much but also probably watching um we watched Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein on Saturday and the crowd experience was incredible. That like you said, Dash Darren, who 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 is just the MC of this whole entire thing and just amazing. You could tell he's having a great time mm-hmm. and loving it. He introduced it and then the crowd was just so into the movie. And then when we watched the blob too. So something about that experience, it felt really nostalgic and older and and just this experience of an entire crowd being together watching these films was was really cool. I agree. Like the rupturous like laughter throughout Abbott and Costello. Like it was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm seeing this when it came out. This is such a time warp. And like there's, you know, the Blob Fest ball is a huge part of this weekend that happens on Friday. Night. Obviously, I love that. There, It's like a sock hop, and it's so cute, and everyone dresses in, like, awesome vintage fashion. And there's all these incredible movies. There's all these incredible short films playing. Um, and then on Sunday, uh, you know, the crew from Mystery Science the- Theater 3000, so Joel and Jonah and Emily were out, and they did a show. Like, this was truly a special, special weekend for film nerds. Yeah, applaud to the the colonial workers, because, I uh, mean, this is a nonstop three-day event. And the nicest people. And just... The entire time. So nice. So helpful. I mean, people are just going in and out. Uh, the vendors were great out on, on the main street. Uh, just really, cre- you know, really incredible. Also, quick shout out our friends Caitlin and Marvin, yeah. who had also put in a film into the film, uh, the short film festival called The, uh, the Visitor, which also had Jeff Harvey in it. Um, yes. Really cool movie. Uh, really excited for them. Uh, and our friend Kurt Reedy, who also had uh, Guard Dog, which was in it and actually won. Um, yeah. The, the short film festival, so, you know, really applaud to him, uh, to all of them for making it, and just the entire event. Love it. So, people, you have to check it out. Uh, be on there, because the tickets sell fast for that first event, but I believe most of the other stuff you can usually get, you know, even after. So, I really highly recommend it. Without a doubt. But perhaps more indomitable than the blob itself, people weren't running out of theaters this summer, They're running into theaters this summer. And the reason we are recording this episode today, we have got to talk about this summer movie season. Summer movie season, definitely. I mean... Is there a how could you here? I think there's a how could you for you and I. Okay. (laughs) Let's start there. All right. This is our how could you. What is it? And our how could you is... How could you not have fun with this summer blockbuster season? It's so good. And look, there is one topic in particular. We decided for our purposes, so when we were talking about, like, getting ready for this new season. We're like listing out movies and we both agreed. There's no way we couldn't record something just about this summer movie season. I cannot remember a summer, definitely not this decade. And I would say probably within the past 10 years that has packed more of a punch, 
fun, engaging, um, and real like event cinema type feelings. And there's obviously there's a there's a a one two punch here that we're going to talk about towards the end. But we're going to try and go in order and just kind of give you our thoughts on the summer movie season, which we have had so much fun with. Yeah, Little House Rules. Starting out for anybody concerned, we will not be spoilers here. Um, you know, we'll be talking about obviously actors in movies, and we'll be talking about our feelings on it and some basic you know, aspects of the film. Um, if you want to go completely fresh, you know, may not be, you know, the episode for you. Um, however, or if you hear a movie that you haven't seen yet, just kind of fast forward, you know, we'll be going through and going on to the next movie. But, um, but no worries. We are not going to be giving away endings to movies or anything like that. Uh, it, it's your basic, you know, surface level thoughts on these films. Okay. So with the rule set. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take off my... My 3D glasses. Yeah, guys, he's been wearing 3D glasses. These are the um, uh, the AMC IMAX 3D glasses from Avatar. You're supposed to return those <laughs> at the end of the film. You see the prices on those <laughs> IMAX movies? <laughs> These babies are mine. Although I do miss the, the red and blue, but that's that's a story for another time. Yeah, let's get into it and start talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Really, in many ways, I think Guardians 3 does officially kind of kick off the, the summer movie yes. season. Um, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy is, is certainly... A beloved grouping, um, you know, what James Gunn was able to do with a story that I don't think people outside of like super, super big comic book fans had really invested in is incredible. This feels like a third concluding, you know, trilogy film. James Gunn's going to be leaving to go do DCEU. A few of the actors have already said that they are not coming back for another installment. This is a very, very different kind of Marvel film. Um, insofar as it feels a little bit more insulated. And I mean, this is like a guy, this has like a big bad that wants to like kill worlds, but at the same time, there's something like a little bit more insulated and intimate about this last chapter. So how did you feel about the third Guardians film? I happen to love it. Um, and I thought I was going to feel, I thought maybe going into it, I wasn't going to enjoy it. I thought maybe, because we've talked about it on here, you've heard me talk about it. I put me in that, you know, grouping of a little bit of Marvel fatigue. Um, you know, we had seen Ant-Man and it kind of underwhelmed. I, I think at the time I thought I enjoyed it. And then the more you kind of sat with it, um, I realized, you know, the pro problems from the filmmaking standpoint of it. So I was a little worried about this one, but I loved it. Maybe it speaks more to, you know, my kind of film taste. Um, but I... I thought it did a really great job for these characters within this universe. I love the big bad. I thought mm -hmm. he was a great addition to this franchise. Um, it does get dark at points. And I, I happen to think that that really added something to it. Um, you know, not in a weird way. Just, I, you know, I think it, it, it adds to the stakes of the film and of the characters you're watching. So I, I really really enjoyed this movie and really think they did a nice job of taking those three films and really packaging them together in a complete trilogy. Well, and I think the thing that is a complaint that was laid at um, Black Panther Wakanda Forever not a complaint I agreed with, but a complaint that was laid at it is that there was a little bit of that Marvel push of how does this fit within the, the larger scope of the cinematic universe. And like one of the things that I think has been done was always done so well with like 
Black Panther and then Black Panther Wakanda Forever is not that feeling of I need to include this larger cinematic universe, particularly with Black Panther. And I think the times at which Black Panther Wakanda Forever does that, that's the people parts that people take issue with. Like, why do we have to have these side stories? Just tell the story about this place. And I think like with this film, and is it because James Gunn bucking against a system that didn't want him much longer, knowing that it's this last chapter, being in this transitional phase for the MCU yet again, this feels like something very personal of like, a we're, we're not super concerned with connecting this to the larger story, rather telling something with like the fidelity of where we want to take these characters. Whether that's leaving these characters in the spot and kind of concluding their story or giving them some sense of like resolution. And that is all like to be as non-spoilery as possible. It is in many ways, I think, one of the darker turns in the MCU. Um, you know, much was made about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness <laughs> having a real horror bent. Um, there's a part of this movie that even for me, I I, I had a hard time with. I, and, and this is the thing I was like, I loved the movie. But anyone who walks away going, that was kind of rough. I kind of can't blame them on that score. But at that, I think it was so purposeful. And what it what it did with the big bad, again, trying not to be super spoiler, I think really worked. Um, it has, it had a real nice finality to it. And I think the problem is, is we, you know, there's so much buildup in the MCU to get to the Infinity War end game pairing. And now for people who are fatigued like you, I don't find myself fatigued yet. I was super bought in on Secret Invasion, not from the first episode, the first episode was boring as hell. But after that, I was like bought in. Um, but I get it. I think this was like a nice, okay, we're going to kind of put some things to bed and now start focusing on some different characters. I don't think that's a bad thing for the MCU to be doing. Yeah. Uh, also, I will say, I agree with you. I like Secret Invasion a lot. So um, I think that was the thing I really was happy about with Guardians was I needed another movie that just wowed me um, visually and story-wise. And I thought that that did it. And it was it helped me to kind of refocus back in on this, um, you know, the cinematic universe that I was maybe slipping away from a little yeah. bit that to, to, all right, you got my attention again. I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> I'm here. We've got your attention. We're going to close out this part, but not Cosmo. Bring back Cosmo as much as well, possible. If you've seen the movie, you know. Bring back Cosmo. We've talked about doing a, a Marvel, you know, deep dive, which is huge at this point, and, and doing an episode about that at some time. But there's a lot I would love to talk, you know, longer about that one oh, day. Oh, yeah, for so. sure. So this is and this is a strange thing, you know, so from one franchise to another. Um well, so we watched Fast X. Fast X. This is what happened. I mean, this Fast is... Fast 10. Fast, Fast and Furious 10. Fasten. <laughs> hey. Hey. Fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> so here's the thing. This is totally peer pressure. Because as we were going through, I'm like, wow, we're like really seeing all of the major releases for the summer. And, and, and then Ryan had started teasing that maybe we should do an episode at some point. And then I was like, yeah, but as a completionist, that's one of the big movies of the summer. So... I'm going to say this. I have seen Fast and the Furious, the first one, and Too Fast, Too Furious, and Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. Which ones have you seen? <laughs> Tri-Furious. <laughs> I'm just going to say you wanted to be a completionist. I'm, um, I never heard you say, let's go see the book club too. Um, it's because I had not seen the first part and I was worried I'd be confused. <laughs> but we jumped in the fast act. Shush you. <laughs> Don't use my words against me. Um, I had seen part one. Um, I thought you told me you 
hadn't seen part no, one. No, I had seen part okay. one, never saw part two, saw part three, and that was it. So this is we 100% watch. There's a really funny podcast or a YouTube series, but they also have a podcast called Caravan of Garbage. And we recapped all of the Caravan of Garbage episodes mm. about the Fast and the Furious franchise going into this. And I want to tell you, that was enough to know what was going on. <sighs> See, this movie something, man. <laughs> this movie is something. This is a great because we're going to talk about another franchise that we hopped in that maybe we were not, we didn't have all the background of films prior later. But this one jumping in, <laughs> I, listen, these films people love and that makes me happy. These films bring people in, that makes me happy. I I was this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever watched. I think that's what makes it fun. <laughs> I had here's the thing. Did going I going from the, you and I who basically saw the first three? We were still in the street racing realm of these movies. We're now at ten, and they're just superheroes at this point. <laughs> no one dies, and when they do. They come back in mysterious <laughs> and surprising ways. Right? Like, I, I just... Yeah, I, I don't... This... I mean, all the credit in the world to Jason Momoa. He was just eating scenery, having the time Shush. of his life. I need to talk about Jason Momoa. The dude's at a 10. And I don't... He, listen, he can't be nominated for an Academy Award. But if there was an Academy Award for doing the most with the least... <laughs> He would win that award. There is nothing in that script. It is straw and paper clips holding that shit together. <laughs> and he went, I'm going to put in the work. And and this is the thing. There are a lot of, and I'll say this, like the cast is pretty charming. I get why people get sucked yes. into these films. He is, he is the greatest in the film. And then Vin Diesel just like walks around like he is honestly sedated, but also seemingly looks like he's going to impregnate everyone on set. <laughs> It is such a confusing vibe in a movie. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Family. <laughs> yeah. We were going to have a drinking game every time that was said. I mean, I know that's the joke now. And we would have died. <laughs> the movies. <laughs> the movies. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this movie. It was just one of the most absurd things I've ever seen. I think I just said. You said you understood what was going I on. I found myself confused, and that made me mad because I'm like, how am I not understanding? What's going on? I'm like, I've got this. Yeah. <laughs> most ridiculous it's, experience yeah, I ever. Mean, it's it's absurd. And listen, I I go back to what you said. Like, I think we talked about, like, there is just a people are love the, this franchise. I get it. You've been following these characters and I'm sure that there is just some familiarity there. No pun intended. Um, you said know, it. <laughs> there's just a, you know, and I get it. Like, I get why it's probably a lot of fun. Now, I've talked. I'm not an action film person. Neither are you. And so, I don't Did you enjoy yourself watching this? I enjoyed how confused you were watching this <laughs> and how much in disbelief you were that we had experienced it. That was actually my... So everything I had fun with was like, look, here's the thing. I see the buy-in. It's, it's, it's spectacle and it's ridiculous and it's like, you know, some like, you know, old-fashioned machismo. Like, I kind of get the buy-in. But it was all, honestly, I just, I reveled in watching you really have to struggle as a person who really loves film watching this movie. And that made me giggle. I felt like I was on a Universal Studios ride. I felt like, I'm just like, the, we've gotten rid of any type of coherent, you know, structure. It's just, let's just throw everything at the wall. Made total sense. I think you're being too critical. Uh, so... 
Yeah. Okay. So from from fast, this is going to be a real weird pivot, and I don't have a good you know segue for this, so I'm just going to say, uh, the Little Mermaid was tremendous. You could have went from part of Dom's world into part of. Please don't associate <laughs> this gorgeous movie. Look, if you're someone and and this, uh, I just I was delighted from the second that movie started till it was finished. I I cried during it. I don't even know why. And I'm a crier. I get we are talking it. about The Little Mermaid now, we right? Not Fast X. You know, there were times where he thought he was going to lose his family because he forgot they were indestructible. <laughs> but The Little Mermaid was just tremendously... Like, the Little Mermaid's more plausible, just for the record. <laughs> what do you mean, Ryan? Of course it's plausible. What's wrong with you? <laughs> I, th- this is what I love so much about this. Like, the, the listen, there's a lot... That people talk about with the live action remakes is that, you know, essentially their money grabs, blah, 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 blah. And I listen, I understand the discourse. I've enjoyed many of them. This is the one that I would say is the justification for any ones that come after it. Because if someone's like, oh, but they're bad. I'm like, yeah, but did you see The Little Mermaid? The, uh, you know, Little Mermaid came out in 1989. Um, I was obsessed with The Little Mermaid my entire growing upness, as with all, yes, growing upness. Jesus, we got a podcast more because I sound like an idiot. Um, I, my Teacher entire- <laughs> on summer vacation jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I do get 95% more dumb in the summer. That was from Fast X. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Family. (laughs) Um, No, I I loved this so much. Haley Bailey's beautiful in it. I also think, like, what the movie did is it enhanced the storyline in a way that I think kind of gave everyone more in a really good way. This is just a beautifully told rendition of the story. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. This is an incredibly significant film in terms of not only what it proves about why these live action remakes can be so important and so impactful, but of course, you know, the casting of Haley Bailey is incredibly important. And I think she does so much to, I think, capture really what truly should be the spirit of Ariel. Because here is the thing. A lot of times when you go back and watch Disney movies, the gender politics of it can feel like kind of messy once you're an adult and go like, do these women have agency? But then you're like, well, no, I think what Ariel stands for is someone who's hopeful and wants to discover and and wants to extend beyond where she is. And I think like this film actually like delivers on the promise of that even better, I think in some ways than the animated film does in terms of that aspect of it. I'm just here for the scuttlebutt. Hey! (laughs) Yeah, the music was phenomenal. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. Of course the music's great. Uh, The music's great. Um, You know what? I I don't even have much to say over it because you said it perfectly. You you know, you obviously feel very passionately about it. Um, And I, you know, I agree. Um, You know, I'm that cliche of going... I love Disney, but some of these, you know, live action remakes have not been for me. Uh, This was one I agree with you. I thoroughly enjoyed from start to finish. Um, I thought it visually looked beautiful. I thought the the music was great. I thought the acting was fantastic. I thought the singing was phenomenal. Um, So, yeah, no no complaints. Totally with you. And, you know, again, I'm not going to say too much more from the person over there with the bright red hair, (laughs) the little, you know, the mermaid hair herself. So, uh, yeah, definitely a thumbs up for me on that one. Oh, Haley Paley. 
<laughs> Sorry, I just can't stop saying because she's so incredible. And okay, um, this this takes us to you know. So it, earlier, I had made mention to the fact that uh, Ryan is not always super enchanted by animated films, and sometimes they take a little bit more for you to be super bought in. As much as you love Disney, sometimes you kind of blink out on <laughs> uh, animated films. Uh, but this next one, you didn't. Uh, how did you feel about uh, Spider Verse across the Spider Verse? Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Yay. Um, you know. You have a film that was so surprising and how good it was when it, you know, the, the original one came out a couple years ago and kind of took everybody by surprise and by storm. And it was like, oh, my God, this is something we've, we've never seen animation yeah. in this way before. The storytelling was was fantastic. Uh, just something that was really epic. And it's like, can you recapture that? Can you find that space again? And damn, did they do it. Like, um, you know, and I don't think this is a spoiler, so I will say this. I did not know that it was, it's a two, you know, there's a lot of these movies, for those who don't know, a lot of these movies we're talking about have sequels to them already in the works. Mm -hmm. Um, So you might get to the end of some of these films and go, I did not know that this was going to be a two-parter. So um, this is one that I I don't mind saying because I think it was pretty pretty much out there that this yeah, was, was part before. of a two-part film. Um, so I, I didn't know about that. I didn't know how I'd feel about that. I didn't even realize it, but um, didn't take anything away from it. It's a long movie. It's a long animated film, but I just found myself smile from ear mm-hmm. to ear. I found myself emotional at times. Oh, um, you know, we ended up seeing, and we'll talk about it here in a second, we ended up seeing this as a sequel, or I'm sorry, as a double feature at Shankweiler's Drive-In uh, with The Flash and, and Spider-Verse. And both are talking about these multiverses, right? And it was like, I saw Flash, I will talk about that in a moment here, and had one feeling, and then you go and you see this, and you're like, Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) That is something on a different level. What they're doing with the animation, the storytelling, the multiverse, um, the the, the character development, just absolutely incredible. No, I'm totally with you. And I think like one of the things that helps to make this fresh is like, you know, again, like you talked about Into the Spider-Verse. It was like it was animation styling we had never seen before. They made the the cityscape and the and the different neighborhoods feel like they each have their own energy and i remember that like pulsating feeling from the first film and then in this one it's not just the different neighborhoods it's the it's the multiverse and to animate them differently for each of them to have their own unique voice and styling like this is incredible like this is something like I agree. Like, I remember looking at the end and I was just like, you know, when you see something and you think, I'm so impressed and I know this film's going to stay with me forever. And I just saw something that's such a technical achievement. I'm going to match everything up to it for a while. Like, that's such a special thing to have happen. And we had that happen multiple times this summer. And that's incredible, too. Yeah. But like, this was definitely one of them where you're like, I really just experienced something very special. Yeah, completely. Um, you know, I remember before we saw the original film, um, going, ah, is this going to be like a messy? I I didn't really want to see it because I thought the animation was going to be, when I say messy, I don't mean that as negatively, just it's the way that it's shot. I I thought maybe visually it would be bothersome to me. And then now when you see it and seen both of them now twice, it's like, it's not gimmicky. It's just done in this really 
beautifully unique style. And, and I think the thing that I found with these characters, I find with these characters is an emotional investment that I'll be quite honest with you. I have a hard time connecting with animated films. It's always been a little bit of an mm-hmm. issue of finding this emotional connection with characters. And this isn't, this connects me to all of these characters. Like it's I great. care about everybody that's kind of coming in. So yeah, absolutely. You're like, it's the first nine minutes of up and the spider verse. <laughs> right? That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, now that we go back to Mario Brothers and why I get, you know, I, you know, this is just a different level of, of yeah. animation and storytelling. But to speak to your thing that you're saying about Messi is I get what you're saying is because sometimes when things are trying to capture an energy, they they take the, well, then the beats need to feel this fast, like boom, 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 boom and that's going to capture energy. The the animators and the creators of Spider Verse they just have like they have such a careful hand in understanding what energy actually has to feel like like what what does the pulse of a very fast paced city feel like without overwhelming your audience with like such intense visual and color and stimuli that they lose like the craft of what's happening and I think we've seen animation styles and filmmaking styles that go that other way and this is definitely not that. And, you know, in capturing, and it is interesting that we saw this as a double feature, because then you ha- we watched this, and we watched The Flash. <laughs> and, and just for record, because I think, it, I know when I speak about this, we saw The Flash first. Yeah. And then Spider-Verse was the double, the, the second film. Yeah. Okay. And here's the problem. At the end of The Flash, I went, all right. I love Michael Keaton, so you had me. Like, you know, an ardent fan of of the Michael Keaton iteration of Batman. I was excited to see the dude back in the suit. Not to copy off of, like, we were watching a lot of stuff with Kevin Smith talking about this. Like, I was just excited to see Michael Keaton be Batman again, and I was having so much fun. And at the end of it, I was like, hey, I actually had a good time. That wasn't bad. It's a shame that they're, you know, you have this person who is incredibly problematic, and unfortunately, they're extracurricular activities outside of the filmmaking is kind of it tempers how you're going to react to this film and the thing is is when I was watching this I was like Ezra Miller is actually pretty charming in this role and I was having a decent time and Michael Keaton rocked and then we watched Spider first and I went (laughs) oh well that's a multiverse movie (laughs) so that to me is the problem with this and I'm actually going to say this even against like um Across the Spider-Verse this also made me look at um, multiverse of madness differently because unfortunately mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah. that one did it the best so now anything I saw before my fe- even if I had a good time at the time now I'm looking yeah. at it differently what were your feelings on the flash so let's see if I can wrap this up um, so I had two different feelings about it, and and I'm still kind of conflicted where I'm falling on this movie. Um, So let's just, you know, for the time being, let's take the Ezra Miller stuff out of it, um, because that's its own issue, um, where we kind of got to the point where we were like, all right, well, they're going to put it out, and we all want to, you know, support Michael Keaton, so we're going (laughs) to go and see this and and hope that, you know, find out where we feel. So let's, I'm going to take that part of it aside. I will say this. While I was watching it, I had a really good time. Um, and I think that's the thing anybody should take away from. If you if you are okay going to see this movie with knowing the Ezra Miller stuff and you want to watch it and you like DC films and you loved Michael Keaton as Batman, go see it. Have a good time with it. I had a really good time while we were watching it. I agree with you. The problem with this film was the next day. 
Um, it yeah. was like I. It was like a really good night out of drinking, where you're like, "That was a lot of fun. I had a blast." <laughs> now the next day, I have a headache. My wallet's a little lighter. <laughs> like it's. Yeah. I just start pulling back the the onion on it, and it's like there's a lot of issues with the movie. Yeah. Um, and and, and at the end of the day, I think it's just. It wasn't that good. Um, and I think most people felt this way about it. I think. Um, and so it kind of goes, well, how do you want to go into a movie? Do you want to just go, I want to just drop my mind for a moment. And for two and a half hours, I want to just sit and just have a good time and not worry about, well, was the CGI perfect? Or, you know, was this part of the storytelling? Did it make any sense? Like, if that's the way you go into movies, that is awesome. And that should be the way you go into films. And I think you can have a really good time with this movie. But if you're somebody then that starts to analyze it and look at it differently, you're going to not enjoy this movie. I think I, there's a lot of problems. So you're like, it. if you're going to think about it afterwards, <laughs> you might not want to watch The Flash. No, but I, I, yeah. get, I get your point. Like, because I think that's the thing is, I think you can have this, watch this film and have fun. I don't think you have to think about Ezra Miller's criminality when you're watching this film. Right. I also think you can walk away from it and go, that exists. And I'm also okay with that chapter closing. It, it's just, it's the problem of if you're watching a lot of stuff where multiverse is the storytelling mode where they're investing in that, if you watch Across the Spiders, you're not going to like The Flash because it doesn't do it as well. It doesn't. And I agree with you. That was, first problem was seeing Across the, you know, the Spider-Verse right after it. It went, oh no, this is a multiverse. Now they're doing it in animation, so there, there, there's an argument to be made there. However, it was just done so much better, and it, you start to uh, fly. I also will say, I love seeing Michael Keaton as Batman. I had a good time like everybody else, and I hope that someday somebody makes another Michael Keaton Batman movie in whatever way they can or want to. Because he's got it in the tank. However, I don't think it was handled as well as I would have wanted it to or would have liked it to be. Um, so there's a lot of feelings I have with it. I, you know, again, at the end of the day... If you just again just have a if you just want to have a good time of a superhero movie, there's no, nothing wrong with this. No, god damn it! It's not just about having fun. It has to be told well. I'm sorry. No, listen. You know I am I am toxically positive. Okay, like I watched I watched Inside Out and I didn't understand what the problem was with Joy. Like I was like she is doing her best, people. But legitimately, like this is the problem. Is it's the storytelling? Because you're right. Because they totally totally herbed. The ending part with Michael Keaton. You're bringing back herbs. I'm bringing back herbs. Yes. <laughs> For all our <laughs> Josh Hartnett, uh, Mackay Pfeiffer O fans, I'm so excited we're bringing back. You herbed it. <laughs> it's a problem of a movie, but I'll bring back the phrase. <laughs> there, the issue to me is like they they ruin that. And the thing is, to be clear, our issue with the spite across the Spider Verse versus the Flash is not like, well, they can do it better in animation than they can with the CG. My problem's not the CG. My problem's the script. That storytelling is a mess. And that's the problem with it. And I was having an okay time. And then the problem is you ruminate on it even for a second and that movie falls apart. <coughs> I will also say, I will say something. And it's probably Are you okay because I'm being negative and too much information for our audience. But we talk like I talk openly here about, you know, mental health. I will say I was having a particularly tough week that week when and about like purpose in the world and, and missing people and things like that. And then you get a, a film about, you know, finding purpose and you get a film about, you know, fa lost family. It was like there were some heartstrings it was hitting. Well, now I 
feel like a monster for <laughs> criticizing the film. You know what you did now. <laughs> Look, just because it pulls at the heartstrings at moments when you were vulnerable does not mean that the no, storytelling is No, I agree with you. I agree completely right, with you. I did a good double feature that night, so thank you, Shane Glowers, for that double feature. And I will say, like, yeah, it's if you're going to choose one or the other of the multiverse, definitely take out Spider-Verse. Can we move on to something that we love without complication? Asteroid City. Fantastic. It's my whole personality. Very much so. In a movie. <laughs> it's now my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Oh, she's calling it, folks. Do you know what it was before? I believe that I do. What was because it? Because we recently had a conversation with some friends about this. Oh, wait, we did. Yeah, so it is no shock from my end, but Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise right? Kingdom was my favorite. Yes. Asteroid City has eclipsed it in big time. They feel like, though, that's a good double feature, I feel like. Moonrise Kingdom, and, yes. and I mean, you know, one could argue most, but I, I do feel that Moonrise Kingdom and Asteroid City would be a really good pairing. It really was entertaining me, like, how the Wes Anderson quote-unquote filter and, like, people doing that stuff on, like, TikTok and, like, Instagram reels for those of us who are ancient um, over the summer. And obviously gets eclipsed by later things that happen in the summer movie season, but, like, this is so so charming it is so it's so Wes Anderson like and I think the thing is is like he is definitely one of those directors that like once you say his name there's kind of like a whole package of things that come along with it so if you have watched even one Wes Anderson movie but this is mid-century it's set in the desert if you don't know this I have like a weird obsession with mid-century desert locales I don't know why because I hate the heat but I love the idea of it it's got oh, my all-time favy Jason Schwartzman my obsession for him has not died down an iota since I was in high school. It's just so good. Your other favy? It's got Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. It's got Tom Hanks. Scarlett Johansson's in it. It's incredible. I don't want to say a thing about it because there is some structural stuff. I would not even remotely try and spoil on this. It's just incredible. It's so good. Um, you know, the French Dispatch didn't hit for me. I don't think it hit for you it either. Did not, no. Um, I remember though. I always felt unfair. or felt unfair about that because I was. Remember, I was not feeling well the night we went and saw that. Um, yeah, you didn't. You didn't feel great. But you didn't like it either. I didn't, and no. most people that I really trust were not fans of it, so I never had a desire to go back to it. This is like if if you were like. I mean, I, the thing is, is like again, like Wes Anderson, like I think. Has like a particular fan base. It's a very particular aesthetic, a type of sense of humor, a pacing. This is just incredible. I, you know, you talk about smiling from ear to ear during a film. That was me during this. <laughs> I was so delighted. I loved the music. I loved the sets. I loved the playful way in which the story was told. I loved the act. I loved this from top to bottom. I cannot wait for it to be either on streaming or for us to buy it on Blu-ray and just watch it. Over and over and over again. The thing I like laughed and I was like, so our Halloween costumes are going to be something from Asteroid City, right? <laughs> like, I just absolutely loved this movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I, I think it was awesome to see, you know, another great Wes Anderson film. Obviously, such huge fans. Um, you know, not every, you know, not, not that every film is going to always hit 100%, but this one was, was very much up there. I would probably rank it very high myself. Um, you know, visually, again, beautiful. I don't think it's the most accessible film on this list that we're talking about for no, everybody. Um, everybody see it. <laughs> don't listen to Ryan. But if you love Wes Anderson or you love Quirky um, or you just love Lauren's suggestions, I say, yeah, check this one out for sure. Don't trust Ryan. He cries during The Flash. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, no, I did. Uh, Kevin Smith cried during the flash too. Okay, uh, doesn't count. That dude's going through some things. <laughs> I'm going through some things all the time. Um, no, I I absolutely highly recommend Asteroid City. I agree with you. It was stunning and great one of maybe my favorite of of the summer um it has a surprise in it that made me laugh so hard <laughs> it was probably uncomfortable for the people around me and you know i think you and i are both big jason schwartzman's fan jason schwartzman fans and i think it's just cool to see you know that evolution of you know the working of you know seeing you know max um Fisher and then in as in Rushmore as a high school student to now seeing him with Wes Anderson as this father figure. Um, it's just a cool yeah. working relationship and to see that evolution of the two of them as an actor and director. So yeah, highly, highly recommend he it. He looks good in it too. He does. I mean, it's a great performance. It's a stunning looking film. Stunning it's so looking gorgeous. film. Yeah. It, it's the yeah. cinematography is ridiculous. It's so pretty. I want to live in that set like in the worst way. Um, this is like, so this is like an interesting shift because like there's, uh, I don't have anything quirky or pithy to transition us from like our last film to this film. So we saw the film, uh, the horror film, The Blackening. Um, this is so this was taken from a short film um, and then expanded into a feature length. Um, this is so it's a horror film. Um, I hate labeling things horror comedy because then I think people expect like a, a joke, a joke, a joke, a joke. Yeah. Um, that's not this film. Um, this is directed by Tim Story. Um, it's so much fun. It is, you know, essentially. Well, no, wait, because no, it's no, like no, super no, no, no. <laughs> Essentially, like a group of a group of college friends who are reuniting at a cabin in the woods, which just l let's never do that because that never ends well. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to put together a, a 25 year reunion here, so you're saying that should not be the destination. I know, but for where you went to high school, it would probably make a lot of sense. But like this, you know, so it's a group of friends who are reuniting, and it's all of those like. So if you like things where it's like those kind of like baked in tensions and resentments of like when people have you know friends that you know you've stayed close with, but you're not around all the time. Um, and just the one of the best things about this film, and there's a lot of really great things to say about it, is the writing of these friendships and how they interact with each other feels so incredibly authentic in terms of like these are people who really love each other and also kind of really get on each other's nerves. And like you feel their history. And I don't think all the time when you have like films that are about groups of friends reuniting that you get that where it's not just about, yeah, I can tell that they're close or it's written for them to be authentically close. You feel the history in this and it's so humorous and it's so great. And it's such like a sharply written film. People should see this. I couldn't agree more. It's one that we didn't see in the theater. We ended up seeing at home um, and it really hit. Um, it was so good. You talked about it being a horror comedy. Somebody had recently said this and call it said it's probably closer to like Scream in its um, kind of comedy horror where, you know, there's a lot of humor to it, but it's really more of a horror film or a drama. Um, it it kind of mixes a little bit of, of types of genres because I I also could say even more than a horror, it's a good drama. Like, it's a good friendship drama. Actually, yes. Um, yeah, that you're has not wrong. pieces of horror and pieces of comedy. I mean, there's sometimes there are just straight-up jokes, but for the most part, it is just this more referential um, humor. Um, yeah, and, and total credit to the, you know, like you said, the writing is, is amazing, and then the chemistry of the cast, um, they just 
everyone that's in it. And I, I didn't have a lot of, I didn't know a lot of these actors previously, except for um, the one gentleman had been in uh, White Men, the remake of White Men Can't Jump uh, that we had just watched. Um, oh, but, we didn't put that on our summer movie list. I think we watched that no this streaming. summer. <laughs> no yeah, streaming. No direct streaming. That's right. Yeah, I did have a theatrical. Um, but no, I mean, highly, you know, again, another, like you said, it's a, it's a fun horror film, uh, but also a good drama. The horror is never too bad. The comedy's never, you know, too crazy. It's just, it's a really well-constructed yeah. film and, and, and a really good time. And I'm sorry, I didn't mean to try because I think it's actually really important that you point that out because we know that, like, you know, horror isn't everyone's bag, but this is something, this is, like, light horror in terms of, I think the scares hit well, but I don't think, it's not a movie that's made... Made, made to make you feel oppressively tense the entire Correct. time. Yeah. And I think that's, that's important going to it. But it's it's really great. Please check it out. I would actually, it's almost like more of a reunion film and then there's all these other things yes. going on. Yeah, um, agreed. Um, so moving back into, again, this is like a, I don't know why this should have occurred to me of like how many sequels we would be talking about. Um, you know, we don't have any misgiving about the about Hollywood and the sequel machine or anything like Only that. Only sequels and <laughs> remakes are made these days. Um, yeah, like that's certainly not us. We're fine with it. We're like, give us more of the stuff we love. Um, so we saw Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny very close to opening weekend. We were away when it came out. But we saw it like pretty much as soon as we got back. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts? As someone who has only just recently <laughs> seen all of the... I feel like... I, no, I'm going to defer it to you. I, I mean... Oh, but I feel like I talked so much with the blackening. I, I, uh. I mean, I th I think I could just say we both loved it. Yes. Like, we both had a great time yep. with it. Um, again, I think this is a little bit of check your sense of, you know, your, your some things at the door and just yeah. sit down and have a good time for two and a half hours. No, you're not going to see Writers of the Lost Ark. No, you're not going to see Last Crusade. It's It's... You know, it's Indiana Jones at 80 years old. Like, it's a different type of, you know, film, but it's still amazing. Let me tell you, I could not kick that much ass at now age. Right? <laughs> now age. My bones are basically dust. I'm an how archaeological. Old are you? I'm now age. <laughs> and how dare you for asking. Um, so I loved this. I This is something that you and I have joked around about. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you will know that one of Ryan's major gaps in his film knowledge was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Episode number two, I episode believe, number right? Two. And it was episode number two because we were at Becky's drive-in seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark the night before my birthday. And he turned to me and he was like, oh, I've never seen this because he didn't know what happened with Alfred Molina. Like it was... But to catch people up, I had seen Last Crusade as a kid. Yes. So that one I, I was aware So this will say, like, I grew up loving and watching these movies, watching them over and over again. And it's funny is because we kind of did, like, a slow rewatch in, in anticipation yeah. of these films coming out. What you don't know is I... I then rewatched them all, like, when you weren't home because oh. I wanted them again. <laughs> this, so these are, like, comfy favorites. And I've... Look, I'm a, I'm a Crystal Skull apologist. Like, I think... I don't, I don't disagree with a lot of the people who want to say things about the CGI is like crap and there's some like things with the story that get like overly complicated and were overwritten. I don't blame people for feeling that way. But I also enjoy Crystal Skull. This is, Dial of Destiny is something different. Dial of Destiny, to me, if you need it to feel close to one of the other Indiana Jones films, to me it feels closer to those. Um, I mean, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is like just the, she's, awesome. she's such an incredible foil for Indiana Jones. Um, I think he's great in this. This movie has a lot of like, you know, we've talked about this a little bit in this podcast already. Like, I, I think something that I have, I have just only recently realized because of the last film that we'll talk about is 
remembering and understanding that the writers and directors and creatives that are putting out films right now are people who lived through a global pandemic. So some shit's going to start feeling a little more emotional in films. And I think you're kind of seeing that wave in the films that came out this summer, things that are reckoning with mortality and family and uh, trauma, both shared traumas and, and individual traumas. I think there's a lot of that happening in this, what we would call a very fun summer movie season. So that feels like probably odd. Um, I think this is incredible. I think Harrison Ford does a remarkable job in this film. Again, not wanting to be spoilery in nature um, because there's obviously some people from the other films that like pop up within this. I think it's great. I think that James Mangold did a really good job taking up a mantle that let's be honest, who would want to follow Steven Spielberg? Not me. Like, um, it's John Williams' last film score. So I just, I don't know. I think this movie's really special. And I think the the backlash that came out right when the film came out is the same thing that kind of gets laid into anything that's considered like a legacy sequel or people just wanting it to. Well, it needs to be this. It's like, okay, but he's also in his 80s. Isn't it dope he's still going on adventures? Like, can't we all wish for that? Like, I don't know. I thought it was great. And I thought Phoebe Waller-Bridge just so, they need to give her her own series of these types of adventure films. Cause I think there's more story to be told there. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. Um, I think it's a really enjoyable movie. Um, I don't think it's flawless by any means. Um, there are certainly, you know, some bumps along the way and some things that, you know, maybe not weren't my favorite, but I agree with you that at the end of the day, I just sat and had a good time with it. And James Mangold does a, is such a great director um, and I think did a, a really, you know, really great job at, at a tough position. I mean, it is a, a hard, you know, we all kind of were leery about a fifth Indiana Jones film to begin with. Uh, I don't disagree with you. Unfortunately, we live in a time where there's a lot of negativity that goes at these this art. And we're a podcast that will at times say the things we dislike. I was a little harsh about Fast X today. So um, I understand that there's a little about that. And, and I understand that there was a, a decision that's kind of turning into a little bit of a, a trope um, on, on storytelling that's early in the film that you find out early in the film that, you know, do I wish they maybe did a little differently? Sure. But at the end of the day, once the story gets going, it doesn't bother me. And, and I enjoy everything. And I agree with you. Uh, and if Waller you've seen the is, film, the thing that he takes issue with, I thought was great, which is really dark <laughs> on my part. Yeah. And again, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is just uh, is fantastic. And um, uh, uh, sorry, who played the villain? Uh, he's Oh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen, Come I on. thought, was really, really good at it. Um, so, yeah, um, I would actually, honestly, probably right now, I would put it over Temple of Doom. Whoa. Um, yeah, I would probably say if I was, if, if you asked me, my favorite is going to be Last Crusade, only because it was probably my first to see it. But Raiders is, is, is a classic for a reason. And then I, from a story standpoint, I would put this over Temple of Doom. Right, yeah. right on. That's interesting. <laughs> The villain's more, like, I, I think there's a tighter villain story in this than even in Temple of Doom. Like, not that you don't know who the villain is, but I think the villain's more... Pro- I mean, like, poor Mads Mikkelsen, that dude was just, like, born to play a Nazi. <laughs> like, it's unfortunate. Like, he's just so many, but he's so good. Like, that's the thing is he just, he works so well. And they do not shy away from showing his villainy whatsoever in this film. Um, it's really interesting. We're talking about, like, kind of sweeping epic adventures. Um, this is going to pair with an earlier part of this conversation when we were talking about the film Fast X. 
and, and talking, or as I'm going to call it, fasten, um, <laughs> that we had not seen every film in the series. And we had yet another situation like this where there was a much talked about film, but we had not watched every film in the series, but we felt compelled to go see it. That is, of course, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one. <laughs> and to... Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning, part one. <laughs> Did I say Mission Impossible 1? You said Dead Reckoning, part one. Part I was one. Just... <laughs> no, this is a, so... All right, my history... Mission Impossible is figuring out the title of this movie. (laughs) So my history with this is I saw the first two films. Okay. um, And then which one did I see with you? We saw part six. That's the Henry Cavill one, right? Yes. With the mustache? Mm -hmm. Okay. So... (laughs) Superman stash. (laughs) So... so, That sounds wrong. Um, So... It's, it's now on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> that Ryan Tossi has such a super <laughs> Um So we had not seen three, four, five, and six, and we went to our good friends at Caravan of Garbage to get caught up because we wanted to make sure that we could understand. We were like, you guys got time to be uh, watching other people's <laughs> podcasts but not making your own, huh? <laughs> Listen, Ryan. <laughs> um, so, uh, sorry. So we had seen three, four. We hadn't seen three, four, and five, and so we watched the recap. My God, is this such an incredible film? I have never been so invested in vroom vroom chase car punch punch. <laughs> I, I like felt like my eye. I don't think I blinked. Like it was full on Ludovico method, Clockwork Orange style. <laughs> such a fun time. How did you feel about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning? My surprise of the summer. Um, It was, I, you know, we we kind of, you know, part of it was the summer season. Part of it was, you know, credit to the advertising uh, for it. A little credit to our friend John uh, Andrews, who was, you know, who's a big Mission Impossible fan and was really pushing. He uh, made me so hyped to see it. (laughs) Um, It was... I was literally on the edge of my seat for most of the film. I felt like I, I, I couldn't, I didn't breathe the entire time. Yeah, I just talked to a friend of our show, Kristen, and she talked about how, like, she went and saw it in the morning and felt exhausted for the rest <laughs> of the day <laughs> because of it. And I think it's totally true. Like, it's... It's such a good movie. I was shocked how much I liked it. Because, again, we talk about, you know, action movies. We, you know, again, comparing it to Fast X and going... We saw that. It was like, ugh. Um, and then go to see this. I'm like, well, am I going to enjoy it? Now, we had seen the last one, and I enjoyed that enough. But there was something just on its own. If you took away any of the other films, like, I didn't feel like I didn't. I thought they did a great job of, for people that are returning to the series and people that are new mm. to the series. And had me hyped. Huge surprise of the season. Absolutely love that movie. No, I'm totally with you, and I, I agree. Like, they didn't do, like, an exposition dump, like the, oh, well, if you haven't been here, here's what you need to know. Mm-hmm. People have not, like, bought into the entire series. There, you know, and a lot is made about the stunts in this film and what Tom Cruise does, and I'm going to be honest, I don't care how many times I saw it as part of the advertisement, that cliff jump is insane when you see yeah. it on film. Um Haley Atwell, we're huge Haley Atwell fans who plays Captain Carter, if you are a Marvel person. Um, we we adore her. She was incredible in this. I thought the entire um, cast was just bananas yeah. talented, so charming. I mean, Tom Simon Cru- Pegg, we're always going to oh love Simon Pegg. Oh my God, Rames, <laughs> yeah. Pumpkin Heath, like, I just, Rebecca like, Ferguson. Holy shit. <laughs> 
Man, she yeah. was great. She's really, really good. Oh, man. And I think this is the thing is, like, I felt so invested. You talked about emotional investment. I felt very emotionally invested in what was happening. The the chase sequence that happens in Rome, which is, like, very much, like, sampled in the trailers with the car, I thought was incredible. And I felt myself so, like, invested in the movement, how it was shot, the pacing of it. Everything about this film felt like you must see this in a theater. This is going to be the best action movie you see in a while. And it was I, like, I cannot wait for part two. And I didn't anticipate feeling that when I came out of the theater. It's nonstop. Like, it it's is great. just, it is just like, you hold on. And, and again, I'm going to take a shot at Fast X and I apologize, but talking about films and, you know, this is a, it's a convoluted storyline going on in this, and you're trying to yeah. follow it between the villain and the aspects of the villain and everything like that. And but it just it flows nicely. It's great storytelling along with all the action. Just uh, yeah, uh, can't recommend that one enough. And I did not expect to come out of this season saying that. Oh God, Tom Cruise is so charming. I think, I know you're going to be switching us now to our next film. Yeah. I'm going to ask us to jump ahead here. I know why you want to do that. Yes. Okay, so let's... So we've been going in order of release at this point, mm-hmm. so we let's jump to the last film that we just saw. Yeah, so like we said at the beginning, as part of our rules, we are uh, concluding this at, at the end of July, mm-hmm. knowing that there's obviously still summer movie season to happen, and we'll definitely be seeing films. Yeah, sorry and, for you Turtle fans. Yeah, and, <laughs> and Meg 2 fans. Yeah. Um, so Haunted Mansion. Um, now... A, an immediate introduction to this. Um, one, we love the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie. Yes. Love is a... We, I, I will go, I enjoy it. I don't know if I'm going to go love. You know... You like, I the, go on a couple of dates with it, but I don't know if I'm going to have a complete commitment of it. With one, I find your analogy troubling, if I'm being honest. <laughs> Two, um... You were taking shots at Bob Iger earlier. What is where are your Disney like values and loyalties? Oh yeah, oh, Bob yeah. Iger. Go back to the straight yeah, conversation yeah. from an hour and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> Iger, that's not good, no. man. No, no. You and any of that goodwill you had, you went and burned down. So, yeah. but like, so here, here's the thing. I, I really enjoy that, but this is the immediate buy-in. Haunted Mansion's my favorite Disney ride. Um, if you ever were to come to our home, um, there's not a room in this house that doesn't have a reference to the Haunted Mansion. There's reason for that. It's because I love it. And I love every aspect of it. You know, it's horror and it's fun. I love everything about it. I loved this movie so much. Like, so much. I, no one guffawed more every time that there was a <laughs> reference to the ride because I needed everyone in the auditorium to know <laughs> that I was in on it. As though no one else in the auditorium's ever been to Disney World but me. <laughs> I had so much fun. Lakeith Stanfield is incredible in this. Rosario Dawson's incredible in this. Um, it's the funniest in recent memory I can remember Owen Wilson being, like, where I was just like, oh, wow, he's really making me laugh in this. Danny DeVito's great in this. Um, there's another actor who's in this that I don't know if it's a spoiler because I didn't know they were in it, so I'm not going to mention their name. It's fine. I, I don't think you need to mention okay. them. Um, yeah. <laughs> I still actually don't believe it was him. Whatever. Um... I just really enjoyed myself. I enjoyed how the story was told. I enjoyed the atmosphere that was created. Um, if you're a fan of the ride, it's almost impossible for you not to be enchanted by this would be my feeling. How about you? Um, okay, so I went into this um, 
I was a little upset about this film being made. Um, Would you like to tell everyone why? Uh, listen, I, <laughs> I think I've probably talked about it on this show at some point, but very famously, Guillermo del Toro had wanted to make a Haunted Mansion film, was signed on to make a Haunted Mansion film, has made a script for a Haunted Mansion film, and unfortunately... My guess is his script did not fit within the Disney, you know, fied umbrella uh, for something that's so Disney oriented. Um, and it just never got made. So that problem number one. Well, and I'll say there's a really hilarious thing. If you are familiar with the website, Bloody Disgusting, the guy who created that, Peter Sharetta, he's also very, very famous now as being a YouTube vlogger uh, uh, for a channel called Ordinary Adventures, famously had a T-shirt that said, give us the Del Toro Haunted Mansion, you cowards. Yeah. Yes. And I thought... <laughs> That T-shirt's right. Sounds like a super yacky shirt, by the way. It really does. Um, yeah. yeah, so that that was issue number one. So I was always disappointed if they were going to remake another one, you know. And then when I heard about the film, to be honest with you, it was... I didn't understand this cast, um, you know, from Jamie Lee Curtis to everybody you spoke about. Like, it just... It didn't seem like they were going to fit together. And the fact that it was going to be another comedy... Yeah. It, it, I was a little loose going into it. The second trailer, I started to get a little excited about it, and my long-winded way of getting there and saying, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I agree with you. I think if you are a fan of the Haunted Mansion, you're going to love all the references in it. I think it does it even better than the, the Eddie Murphy version. Um, I think... Yes. Uh, the the and I apologize. I don't know the actor's name that plays the young the younger boy in the movie. He was incredible. Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah, yeah. but the standout and the thing that you take out of this movie is Lakeith Stanfield. Oh. I mean, that dude is acting on a different level in this movie. Like you're almost like did did you know what movie you were in? Because you're given some Academy Award Oscar type acting in this film. And seem almost out of place. Sorry, I'm like shaking because I agree with you so much. <laughs> yeah. Because here's the thing, and this is what I'll say. A credit to you and I have been talking a lot recently about the types of films that were marketed as family films when we were growing up and that it often had more adult humor. And it's going to parlay into a conversation we're about to have as well. Um, but also one of the things we talked about is that production values and like the acting chops oftentimes of the people within those films was like a higher caliber than really like what the film needed. And that adds to yes. the experience of it because it's like it's not that I'm just getting great scripts or something that everyone can laugh at. I'm also getting these great actors in these films that are meant to be more like family fare. That's what's happening in this film. This film works because Lakeith Stanfield's so committed to exactly who that character is supposed to be. I could not agree with you more about that evaluation. Also, Tiffany Haddish is hilarious in this movie. Yes. She's always yeah. funny, but I, I don't know. I, I found, whether credit to the writing, credit to her, I just I, I thought she really hit during this. This is one of those movies, I will say, and I know you're going to disagree with me probably, but it's one of those movies that if somebody doesn't enjoy it, if you just outright hate it, I don't think I would understand. But if you just, it's not your thing, I would kind of understand it. I, You and I fall on the... We really loved it. We really like it. But it is one of the few because I do think there is some niche to it. I also think, and again, not, we're going to talk about this in a moment. There's some aspects of like, who is this made for um, at times? But 
I, I think it really works. I think it is a film that's great for kids, um, you know, especially kids that are a little more interested in getting into some spookier stuff. I think it's that great gateway type of like a little more mature, fun, horror, spooky type, like, which is what the ride is, essentially. So I think ultimately it's my long way winded way of saying, like, if again, if you're a fan of the ride, you're going to love this. If you're not a fan of the ride, I can see you not being a fan of this movie, not be. Because it's necessarily bad, but because it just doesn't connect with you. Well, and I also will say this, like, there is an element here of, like, what we're talking about the adult aspects, uh, to remind everyone of my comment earlier of, like, these are clearly filmmakers who have all gone through something yes. trying to express <laughs> that. This is one of those films <laughs> where you're like, man, I didn't know that Haunted Mansion was going to hit that hard, um, yeah. but okay, um, because people are working through some stuff. I also think that there is a movement towards some of our family fanfare to hearken back to a time where we weren't protecting or coddling our youth in a certain way. Are you stealing my argument? You're stealing my argument? No, I'm not stealing your argument. No, no, we had that argument simultaneously. No, No, you're not. We do share a hive brain, so it's fine. Um, Listen, I mean, definitely check this movie out. If nothing else, for Leaky Stamphill, who is just stand out. But ultimately, the other thing I do want to just say is, I didn't know how they could make this cast work. It seemed like such a hot, you know, such a weird hodgepodge of of actors, but it really kind of works to the story they're telling. And I I had a good time with it. Haunted Mansion is a hodgepodge of experiences. Good call. All right. But we've come to the hour. The hour? (laughs) You're being awfully generous. (laughs) We're way past that. But it's time. No, no, no. I'm going to talk about this next topic for an hour. (laughs) That might be. Guys, Barbenheimer. Look, this is... Okay, so it is impossible to not think about the summer movie season and to think about these two words so inappropriately pushed together, but we all just (laughs) bought in and didn't question. This is an event unlike any other in cinematic history because you can't tell me of another time when two films have been so inextricably tied together that have absolutely nothing to do with each other (laughs) and that we all just went yes these have to be seen together i don't know who the genius is that downloaded this all into our minds but i feel the better for it you know sometimes the internet does win sometimes the internet it's a force for good and this might this is the rare so this is like almost like i i feel overwhelmed even trying to talk about these topics look because there's an immediate thing there's no way we're not in a few months talking about these films again it's impossible that this doesn't become some serious contention for award season and obviously if you've been listening to us you know oscars loom large in this household Unless the strike keeps going and then the Oscars get canceled, but we'll deal with that nightmare scenario when we have to. <laughs> we'll need uh, we'll need a lot of uh, help at that time yeah. for Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> We're just gonna get real twitchy. Um, but this is uh, look. I don't even know how to approach this. I'm so caffeinated and I'm so ready to talk about these two films. Do we, we talk Barbie first? And the then Barbenheimer phenomenon is real. Let's just it's yeah. So incredible. Yes. Let's just talk about that experience for a second. Okay. How awesome was it going into... Listen, we all like not being in packed theaters. We all like not having somebody we don't know sitting next to us. But as two people that love the movie theater experience, who root for the movie theater experience, how awesome was it to go into packed theaters um, and see, you know, the crowds, you know, really pouring out? I thought this would be a bust. I thought it was like all this hype and people weren't going to show up and show out and they 
did. Well, yeah, and, like, with outfits, too, which is the best part. But, like, I will say there is nothing more incredible than the feeling of I have to go and see this. I have to see it opening weekend. To see so many theaters posting about sold-out screenings. And so many theaters, like, even, like, so we follow, like, you know, because obviously when we travel, we go to movie theaters because... We have one personality type. Um, <laughs> Cinema Salem up in Salem, Massachusetts had a post like early Saturday morning. We are sold out for the day. Damn, that is awesome. And that needs to keep happening. Event cinema feels so special to get to share with people and say like, oh, what what order did you do it in? Did you do Barbie first, Oppenheimer first? Mm-hmm. Did you do the true Barbenheimer? Did you dress up? What did you think? Like, just the incredible unity that kind of comes around, like, we're all doing this at the same time together. There is nothing like that. Like, that is one of the best things that media can do is to make us feel like we have all gathered around the campfire, like, in ancient times and said, we must share upon this story. Well, I couldn't believe, when we went to see Haunted Mansion, I was shocked a week later on a Thursday night at 5 o'clock people pouring in in pink and and outfits and things like that. And the fact that I could not get a ticket because we were supposed to go see the 70 millimeter of Oppenheimer down at the King of Prussia IMAX, we had to change that ticket. And unfortunately, what I didn't realize at the time when I when I got a refund for it was they were sold out for the whole next week. Like, we could not get in. Like, yeah. uh, just We're incredible. still trying to get in to see the 70 millimeter. <laughs> you know, Shank Lally's drive-in sold out, like, all three nights, um, you know, at, at their drive-in. And we were there on a Wednesday night this past week. And packed. packed on a Wednesday night. Like, just awesome to see. And people dressed up for Barbie. Like, this is my... Listen, I... You know, and Knockwood, I've had a really, really incredible summer. One of my favorite moments of the summer is walking out of the theater, seeing a couple dressed up, me waving over and saying, Hi, Barbie! And her replying back, Hi, Barbie! And then me going, Life is good. Like, this just actually happened. Yes. Uh, not as many outfits for Oppenheimer. A lot of we black. We outfits. We did. A lot of black. Um, a little bit different, but... But let's let's so we know how much time we actually have for Oppenheimer at the end here. Let's talk about Barbie first. <laughs> let's give you the floor. Oh my god, I love it so much. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, this is a funny conversation we've been having in this household. One, uh, you've been a season ticket holder on Greta Gerwig for forever. Mm-hmm. Um, this Very is a, a, a Greta Gerwig household. Yeah. I would love to grow up to be her one day, even though she's only like a year older than me. <laughs> um, two years older than me. She, you know, she <laughs> co- three years older. Than me. <laughs> Four years. It makes me feel like I have more time. Now age. <laughs> she is now age years old. You know, so she wrote, co-wrote this uh, with her writing partner and life partner, uh, Noah Baumbach. Um, you know, and, and there's an interesting history of how this, like, kind of script was, like, moving around and this concept was moving around and the rights and the casting. And it's actually kind of like a fun story there. Uh, again, like, I, I, I can't express this enough. I don't want to spoil anything, mainly because, like, we want you to go see these movies in theaters. If you haven't already and you have the time and the financial ability to do so, please do that. Barbie is something that truly and honestly, like, spoke to something at the core of my soul in ways <laughs> I cannot explain. Like, there are references in this that I'm like, because, you know, we had the joke beforehand, like, is this made for because the, there is a trailer that says if you love Barbie come see this movie if you hate Barbie come see this movie <laughs> and you and I having that conversation and I was like I think it's going to be a movie kind of for everyone I think for some people it's going to hit differently um, but I think this movie is kind of for everyone in this weird way 
right. It feels, you know, a film that could feel so incredibly specific to an experience and a time and also feel deeply universal. There's something so special that happened in this writing process. Like, I feel like this movie's nuts too. Like to try and explain it, to give a plot description, to talk about what happens in the film, it like seems like like it shouldn't. Like in so many ways, like it shouldn't work. It shouldn't make sense. It shouldn't be as charming as it is. We've now seen it twice. I've already told you I'm going to see it a third time. I was texting with a friend and she was like, "Well, when I go," and I'm like, "I'll see it a fourth time." Like I'm I'm that bought in. Like. It, it's so incredible. There is a moment in the movie. It, listen, there. this movie also hits. This movie hits emotionally at, at a point. There's a moment in the movie that I felt my, like something inside me lifting off the seat. And then the second time I saw it at that same moment, I heard incredible applause at a drive-in. When we are separated by cars, there's nothing to say we should interact <laughs> with each other, but people applauded that part. If you've seen the movie, you know what part it is. There's no denying it. And, and, and I actually, I don't mind saying this because it's so being shared on Instagram. It's, it's America Ferrara's speech that happens towards the end of the film. I just love this so much. I love the, the referentiality to, to classic Hollywood cinema. I love the perspective of something looking forward. I love taking a complex figure and celebrating the joy it can provide while also dealing with it in a really honest way. I love something that wants to speak to all experiences or to try and reach across all experiences of gender and youth and, and old age and beauty and the complicated things that happen because of constructs surrounding those topics. I love this movie so much. I could talk about this movie for the next five hours and yeah, I, I have like nothing. I, my, my whole <laughs> body is like moving. I just love this movie so much. It was okay. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I, listen, I, it's, you know, I, yes, you're right. I keep kept saying, who is this movie for from all the trailers? Um, I've seen the movie. I'm still not 100% sure I know who this movie is made for. But what I do know is it it's is... It's me. <laughs> Hi. I'm the Barbie. It's me. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, no, it's... And I think there is. I think I think if you if you really break it down, it, there is probably somewhere in there, um, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's base that it's meant. 100% for or written for, but at the same token, it, it's so universal um, in what it's trying to say. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot being talked about it. I, I I can't get over the fact that we're here in 2023 and the most, you know, politically charged film and the most celebrated film and the most, the, the highest grossing film and potentially Academy Award nominated film is Barbie. Like, I just... People, <laughs> let's manifest it. I am both, con, you know... I want a pink Oscar. Completely confounded by this and confused and at the same time, absolutely love it. Um, I think it is, it is a really poignant film. I think it is visually really cool. Um, I think it is just a remarkable job of what they did. Um... Something we haven't talked a lot about 
during this is it's something that like you could see the films that were using practical and which mm-hmm. films were hidden CGI. There's so much practical to this movie. You know, even for myself, I didn't grow up playing with Barbies. Um, you know, my sisters, I don't know if they were huge, but I know that there were some like I, I there was even a moment in the background where I could see um, a Barbie house that I was like, oh, wait, I remember my, my sisters had something yeah. very similar to that. Um, so like even that it, it's very much it, it hits like it's it's a bizarre movie like Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach's writing is is so interesting for it. By the way, if you don't know Ryan, bizarre is like a really high compliment. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Um, yeah. Um, it's yeah. Everything I'm saying is all positive. I have nothing negative to say about this movie. I just I we talked about. A little bit about, you know, you referenced it earlier, like, it, it reminds me of films of what we talked about in the, especially late 80s. Like, I kept kind of referring, referencing it to uh, Beetlejuice, and it's... It's such a great reference You point. know, and, and not in the fact that nothing, you know, they're, they're not equal or, or I'm sorry they're not similar in in you know in what they are but similar in the tone of going it's these films that are, are are created for kids but at the same time has enough adult sensibility that is helps and matures children but also hits very you know perfectly for adults both in its humor and both in its emotion just a really well-written really neat film and and listen i i should i don't even you know obviously you know i your love for it trumps anything that i can say you know about so much fun like it is just a like i said visually a good time Ryan Gosling's dance moves. <laughs> Some of Lou's dance moves. You know, I mean, obviously Margot Robbie was made for this part. She is just brilliant at it. America Ferrera, you know, I know you could talk all day about. She's oh, incredible in it. Uh, the whole cast, all the the side players. Michael Sarah, like just Michael Sarah is so good <laughs> in this. Yeah. Like not like no lie. And Simi Lou's great in the. It just there is a. The new doctors in this, if you're a Doctor Who fan. Like, I just, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's funny. As you said, it was poignant. And then something shot into my mind. There's a scene at a bus stop with an older woman. And honestly, every time I think about it, I almost cry. Like, I am going to cry. Like, you know, my Barbie dream house was my favorite thing that Santa ever brought me. It was, like, incredible. And as someone who is, like, a devout feminist and believes in gender-affirming ideologies, like, Barbie's complicated. And this movie, like really created an important space, I think, to talk about things that are, like, vitally important. And then also just have, like, a really good time. It's pink, and it's cute, and it's really funny. And the music's incredible. It's so much... There was a thing that happens with Lizzo at the beginning that just, like, still I'm, like, working over how brilliant that part is. Love yeah. it. Music. Amazing. Oh, we went and so. got our uh, our vinyl, Barbie vinyl, over at a Compact Disc Center. Yeah. So, like... And it's pink. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so this is, like, a roughest of transitions, but they're paired together. So um, then we saw, we saw Oppenheimer. Um, and at the end of the film, you turned to me and said, if they don't give Nolan his Oscar for this. And I turned to you... And I said, my ear's still like super, super ringing. And I probably said this way louder than I should have at the end of the film. I said, that was an effing masterpiece. 
Because what else do you say after you've experienced something like that? Yeah, we always have this tradition where when a movie ends in the theater, you always turn to me and say, uh, what did you think? And every so often I'll be like, no, I want to hear you first. And you're like, no, 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 you got to go first. So <laughs> I always have to go. This time I didn't even give you the opportunity <laughs> to ask me. Um, I just, yeah, it's, uh, you know. Obviously, I'm not inventing a wheel here. Nolan is one of our best directors of this era, and if not the best, he's a modern-day Stanley Kubrick. He is just absolutely incredible, and this is perhaps his his best work of you know of all of his filmography, which is really saying something. Right, <laughs> right. Um, it's just a just a you said masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of a film. It's a masterpiece of directing. And Killian Murphy gives a masterpiece of an acting portrayal of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Just absolutely. Don't you sleep on Iron Man on that half of the table. You better <laughs> no, talk about I mean, talk about Like, you know, talk about a cast. Like, you know, you're, you're watching this really dramatic film and you're trying not to get taken out by all of these actors that are popping up. But here's the thing I will say about this ensemble cast, which is just out of this world, is... He takes actors that you know from other things, but you you haven't seen in a while or, or, you know, hasn't been. And he uses them. But it's like the casting on this is we didn't get, you know, the biggest names. We got the right people for the mm-hmm. right yep. parts. And they just fit these parts perfectly. Um and you're right, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Um, you know, the joke I saw recently was Ryan Gosling versus Robert Downey Jr. in one of the most craziest <laughs> Best Supporting Actors, and certainly yeah. could see that happening. Uh, Killian Murphy, though, just, he's always been this this amazing actor that I think has been on the fringe a little bit for a mod, like, a, you know, your kind of normal audience or that maybe maybe peaker peaky blinders i think that has been the shift um, of him being more but well known. those of us in this this nolan or you know just you know between 28 days later and things like that like obviously we've all known that he's this great actor mm-hmm. but this is just something else he he took it to a different level three out it's a three hour you know historical drama and again breath taken mm-hmm. you're you're on the edge of your seat listen it, it's it's something that we talked about i know was a concern of you going into it and it was totally justified of what are they going to do how are they going to portray this film where are they going to kind of how are they going to ex- talk about jay oppenheimer um robert oppenheimer and what they do is it, the movie is about Oppenheimer. It's not about the event that occurred because of Oppenheimer. It is about Oppenheimer. And I think that's important to know going into this mm-hmm. um, because there are some things that you can really get you know upset about otherwise. And but I think what Nolan did was just give this really interesting, you know, film that you're just hanging on the entire time to every word somehow he makes courtroom drama feel like the most intense dramatic thing possible and feels to this epic level of you know inception and all these other you know these other great films that he did no perfectly said like and i think that's the thing is like three hours should feel laggy it never does (laughs) like and it doesn't let go of you and like And I think the really interesting thing about the approach to like this method of storytelling is to say like um, we're going to have we're going to show you it's not it's not meant to be 
a straight up like biopic. It's not meant to be just a telling of like this this thing, this massive thing that happened that had like incredible like long term implications. It, it's telling the story of like this is this thing that happened, and then this is the fallout, you know, literally and figuratively of what happens when a scientific discovery has occurred and, and has mm-hmm. catastrophic results. It's like it's such an incredible meditation on that. The movie is not beating you over the head with like any particular vantage point. It's allowing you a lot of space to make your own decisions. It's showing how scientists and great minds can be pretty tortured by the things that they do. And, and they're having to balance the, you know, the incredible importance of discovery also with but what happens when people take my discovery and get to have ownership of how it's used. It's such an incredible meditation on that. It's a a weirdly enjoyable experience because the craft is so incredible. Like, you know, the fact that everything is done practically, which is, which still blows my mind. The fact that this is so packed with performances. Anytime you have a conversation about the acting in this, it almost feels like, oh gosh, I let I let Florence Pugh out. Like you know, <laughs> it's just such an incredible film. I, you're talking about the 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 gentleman that played Einstein. Amazing. Um, I would say I would make an argument right now for David Crumholds to be in that conversation for a best supporting actor. Yo, Crumholds killed it. He, uh, yeah. Um, I would say you know the two knocks of the film um, would be. One would be, you know, the fact that Nolan has never been a great at writing female characters um, and it's seen in this film. Um, I think that the roles are elevated by two of our best actresses with Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh. And my understanding, that's also a weakness in the source material. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I asked someone who read the the book and I was like, oh, I would have wanted more. And they're like, that's not in the book. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, So I would say that that would be, you know, my one thing, but that's just something, you know, we have to see with, you know, Nolan, it it feels funny because of talking about the fact that it was with Barbenheimer. Mm -hmm. You know, and that uh, the other thing is, it's just a historical drama problem. Like these films are they're taking conversations that didn't happen and they're creating dialogue for them. And you have to take that into account that when you're watching these things, not all of this can be just taken on its face value. It's it's trying to take an essence of something and and plop it in and and try to fill in some gaps. So that's just always, a you know, a part of, uh, you know, but I will say. Even in a three-hour film, he stuffed a lot in here, and it just really... I I still... I found myself... It felt like a blink of the eye. I never knew when I could take a restroom break. Like... You couldn't! (laughs) Three-hour movies, people. Come on, let's give us an intermission. Give us a five-minute intermission. But no, just... um, Yeah, I I really, really hope... We'll see what happens in the next couple of months with other films, but I really hope we're seeing Nolan get his his gold statue at the end because this movie really, really deserves it. and I also and, and I agree with you entirely I'll say the thing with like his historical dramas of this nature of like I didn't sit down to watch a documentary <laughs> I sat down to watch a, a filmic representation of events so the gotcha film journalism of like this was wrong and Oppenheimer now listen sometimes there are just stupid things that people get wrong I also like you know much is being made about like you know the flags are wrong in the one sequence and it's like oh okay guys this is a genius film shut up like, <laughs> I laugh, my favorite part was somebody saying that was what you were paying attention to in that scene yeah. <laughs> J. Robert Oppenheimer also wasn't Irish guys but I don't know what to tell you like it's just like it's like to me that's gotcha film journalism and yeah. I, don't, I don't subscribe to that like yes it, listen I believe in pointing out flaws I'm not someone you don't have to be so like you know protective of everything but like to me some of that stuff is just for clicks and it's not really like substantive like if you want to talk about the moral like implications of a film like this that's like a different conversation you want to talk about like how he writes film characters that's a different conversation 
So I got to ask. Yeah. If you have somebody that's not seen these films, they decide they're going to do the Barbenheimer double feature. Yes. Which way are you telling them to watch it? You, you, Barbenheimer, Barbie Oppenheimer. Oh, you go, okay. Yeah. You're a psychopath. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But that's how I think it should be seen. You go reverse? I would go reverse. I'd go ah, reverse. I'm not going to write, after I watch Oppenheimer, <laughs> I've watched the, like, the destruction of like modern society, and you're telling me like that I'm supposed to go like, okay, let's go to Barbie land. Like, no, you're a psycho. I love I'm the guy that likes, give me the sad Christmas songs. <laughs> Dude, you are into sad Christmas. You know, this has been a lot of fun. This has been an incredible summer movie season. I think, you know, the how could you at the beginning, I think, is apt. How could you not have fun with the summer movie season? I would also add that how could you not think this is one of the best summer movie seasons we've had in at least a decade, which is a much longer how could you. Um, you know, to walk away, I know myself from a, a summer movie season ago, I watched three films that will probably arguably be in my favorites. I heard um, someone say recently, uh, it was Chris Ryan on the Ringer podcast, or the Big Picture podcast, talking about, he's like, I'll remember where I was when I saw Oppenheimer for the first time. And I feel that way about Oppenheimer, and I feel that way about Barbie. I'm always going to remember what it felt like seeing those movies for the first time. That's something special to have happened in the same summer. Incredible. To have on the same day, once in a lifetime. As film fanatics and film lovers, I could not agree more with you. Um, I'm so happy we got that event. Yeah. As bizarre as it is, <laughs> I love it. One closing question. It's an impossible question. And yeah. you just have to say an answer you can't add. What's your favorite movie of the summer movie season? Oppenheimer. Okay. Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> this is a divided Barbenheimer household. Well, if you're not currently following us on social media, please follow us at How Could You Podcast on Instagram at How Could You Pod on I don't know what the hell it's called Twitter. I don't know. We don't use it. Um, <laughs> uh, you can also follow. <laughs> you can also so follow true. us on Facebook. Um, yeah, we every once in a while I'll post some content on YouTube, but really Instagram is like where it's at because. Uh, I'll remember to go on Instagram because I'm on it all the time. Anyways, um, we are very excited to be bringing you a whole new season of content. Um, we're very excited to get back to podcasting. Thank you so much for checking us out. Yeah. And next time we'll be back with a singular film. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the Odyssey. Odyssey.